Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the guy whose only association with Mill is that he wind Mill slams his first picks in every draft. It's Matt Morgan. They say that before you judge someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. Then when you do judge them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. The perfect crime. <laughs> that is that is wonderful. And uh, Matt, if you wake up with no shoes one day, you might know, know. why. <laughs> I'll know what happened. Uh, next, the guy who probably helps out other mill players because he draws so many dang cards in every game. It's Dana Roach. Uh, Joey, what's um, Bruvac, the grandiloquent's favorite kitchen appliance? What? A pepper mill. The pepper. Oh, that's 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 great. That's great. And in fact, I hear that he's uh, trying to plan his own new musical about Alexander Hamilton. Uh, What's his favorite international cereal conglomerate? General Mills. Oh, man. Before we get too buried in all of these terrible, terrible jokes, let's get to the actual episode. This is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Guys, what are we talking about in this episode? So we are going to talk about Mill, and we're going to talk specifically the math behind Mill and how it translates to your commander games. Yeah, absolutely. Going into some of the numbers for mill decks, seeing the popularity of certain cards and especially different numbers that might matter a whole lot to mill players so that they can help up their game and enhance that strategy in the commander format. But before we do that, we have to give a huge thanks to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling all of the post-production work on the podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And of course, we want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors of the show too. Yes, we are sponsored by Card Kingdom, home of the best buy list on the interwebs today, as well as the diverse collection of well-priced singles to update your decks with the new cards from Core 2020 and Jumpstart. And we're also sponsored by TCG Player, where you can get any version of any card in any condition, basically, shipped to you within days. Like one of our Challenge Stats picks, just click on one of the links on EDH Rec to go directly to the shop of your choice and support both the site and the show. Awesome stuff. Yeah, awesome for our sponsors and for Command Zone. But let's get now into that episode. We are going to be talking about the math behind Mill and sort of examining the different hurdles that the Mill strategy has to jump over to make itself actually powerful in a game of Commander. First, though, we probably should actually define Matt, what does mill actually mean? What is milling a player? Well, funny you should ask that, Joey, because as of course at 21 and Jumpstart, mill is actually finally keyworded. I know that's something that they had been talking about for a while, but it's nice to see it actually done. So mill, as put in the reminder text, says to mill a card, a player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. It doesn't go anywhere else. It goes straight from the library directly into the graveyard. And so if they mill two, for example, they take the top two cards put them into the graveyard. If they mill half their cards from their library, you take half the cards and flip it over right into the graveyard right there. And that, of course, is the main strategy to make your opponent's deck, you know, they've got no more cards left so that when they try to draw a card from an empty library, they totally lose the game. So instead of attacking someone's life points, you're going for their deck, which is a really interesting strategy and one that I think was really enchanting to all of us when we were beginning to play uh, Magic because we learned that that's an alternate way to win the game. And it's kind of uh, cool to see if people can execute it. Um, and a neat, helpful tool that EDA Track actually offers is a mill theme page. Uh, 
if you look at the theme pages, there are a whole bunch of different ones there, a bunch of like graveyard or artifact themes, but there's also a mill page that can show you a bunch of really popular mill commanders, as well as popular mill cards that go into those different types of decks. And let's talk about some of those. When you think of mill and commander, what are the commanders that come to mind? Traditionally, before we got Bruvac, I would say Phoenix has been the one that I always think of. There were ones that came before Phoenix, but Phoenix really is the one. It's in the two colors you want to be in for mill, and it has it right there on the card, allowing you to, to force opponents to put cards in the graveyard in a pretty efficient way. Um, so that's what jumps out to me. Yeah, Phoenix, the uh, the god from Theros lets you tap your creatures, yeah. mill for the toughness. That one's been really, really popular. I think Lazav, Demir Mastermind, also jumps out to me because he can become a clone of anything that is put into the graveyard. Um, and so he will mill opponents a whole lot rather than destroying creatures because that's a very efficient way for him to become a very powerful copy of a creature. Um, so that's one that I also personally toyed around with a little bit. Matt, what about you? Oh, I definitely had a Phoenix deck. Like, I'm not a Demir player by any means, but I am proof that at some point in time, pretty much everybody has had some sort of a milled deck because, <laughs> man, that's just like when you are first starting off with the game, it's like it's so wild and mind blowing. So yeah, I had a Phoenix deck. I know a bunch of my buddies. Um, I've played against every kind of Lazav deck out there that I can imagine. But I know Rexiel, the Risen Deep. Actually, that's that's a card that I remember seeing and being pretty scared of it. Not because it was milling you, but because it was using everything against me. And that was kind of a novel idea back when I was first getting back into the game. Right, because that's the one that steals instants and sorceries out of opponents' graveyards whenever yeah. it hits them, right? Yeah, I mm -hmm. remember trying that one too myself a little bit. Um, one that I don't see as often is Mirko Vosk, the Mind Drinker, who actually mills people when he hits them. Um, and then, of course, we have the new Bruvac the Grandiloquent, which is a delicious name to say. It's so delightful. Who double mills. He's like a mill doubling season. Um, so there's definitely a good swath of mill commanders out there, and they tend to run some pretty spicy-looking mill cards too. I mean, we all know about Traumatize, which shows up in over 4,000 decks, according to E track and traumatized just straight up cuts a player's uh library total in half and puts it right into the graveyard and like that that i feel like is one of those cards that exists in magic headcanon or in lore or something that like you see that and you're just so blown away i remember being like 13 years old and seeing that card for the first time and just being so blown away by it yeah and, and two cards that i remember just seemed unbeatable for a long time a uh, mind grind and consuming aberration those demir really knew how to just punish you, uh, consuming aberration being absolutely enormous in pretty much any game that it plops down in, um, it's pretty scary to look at. And then when you combine it with cards like Phoenix that you can tap it to mill for how big it is, uh, that card gets out of hand pretty quick. Oh yeah, because because it's uh, that that is one that I use in some of my own personal graveyard decks to fill up the yards. Because every time you cast spells, it gets bigger, and then Phoenix mm -hmm. can make it even even bigger. And the mind grind is really really fun one too because that mills people until they hit a certain number of lands. Um, so you can usually get a, a pretty good chunk of cards into the graveyard with those spells too. So yeah, there's a ton of really great mill cards. These are really fun to to conceptualize, I think. But what we want to do for this episode isn't just talk about ooh these are cool fun looking mill cards. We actually want to get into the numbers behind them because as spicy as some of these cards look. Mill in Commander has actually kind of a lot of hurdles that don't make it necessarily as powerful as maybe these cards might look at first glance. So let's get into some of those uh, hurdles for Mill, talking about why maybe we don't see it more often. Here are some of the reasons that we think Mill isn't as powerful or as popular as it could be in Commander. And the first point, for me at least, is just that Mill 
is operating at a much higher goalpost than normal. So in a regular game of Commander, you've got probably three opponents with 40 life each, so you've got 120 life points that you got to mow through before you can win the game. Well, automatically, as soon as you're talking about mill, if that's your strategy, instead of attacking players' life, you're attacking the libraries, now you've got three players with 100 cards each. So that's 300 cards that you got to get through. Let's not actually just stop there, because obviously one of those cards for each player is a Commander, so you can remove three cards there. They have seven cards in their opening hands, so you can remove 21 more from that. How long will the games go? Maybe 10 turns or so. You can probably subtract 10 draw steps from that, possibly. And of course, everyone's going to be drawing extra cards every game. So, you know, subtract a bunch of cards for that. I'd say, you know, wager around... Instead of 300 cards, you've got maybe 240 cards that you have to get through, 220, somewhere in that ballpark. But even if your opponents are drawing a lot of cards in the games and doing some of that work for you, you have probably a two times higher total than the opponents who are working on life gain. You've already set the bar way, way higher for yourself if you're trying to attack people on the plane of mill. And that is a definite hurdle for mill. Yeah, and we talk about you know, how much, how many more cards people have in their library versus life points that they traditionally have. That's one of the big reasons that Mill isn't very powerful in 60 card formats as well. Uh, Mill is, you know, people try to make it work every now and then, but having such a considerably higher amount of, of points that you have to work through compared to life totals, it definitely kind of sets you back at a disadvantage from the very get-go. And I, that's, I think that's kind of discouraging for a lot of players because it is so much harder to obtain. Well, and not only do you have to cut through essentially twice as many, you know, resource points if we if we refer to life as a resource point as well as cards in the library. Um, point number two here we'll, we'll, we'll go into, you are all alone for the most part when you're doing this. Um, right. If you're trying to attack someone's life total, your opponents are very often going to be helping you do that. So, you know, if, if you have to cut through 40 life on, on this player's turn, somebody else might very often take care of 39 of that life like there's plenty of times i've you know dinged someone for that one last point um that for the most part isn't going to be happening in mill you're just not going to be building off the activity of other other players very frequently yeah sure on occasion somebody will be playing a straight mill card or or they'll mill themselves in a reanimator deck or something and maybe you'll get lucky but for the most part it's just going to be you doing all the heavy lifting so you're dealing with twice as much damage or twice as many resource points to go through to get them dead without the assistance of of two or three other players helping you out. Yeah, it's it's and I gotta say, sometimes I can only deal 28 damage to Dana, and it's because of the 12 damage that Matt dealt to him <laughs> earlier in the game that I'm finally right. able yeah. to take him out. Yeah, exactly. Or, or the 10 I've dealt to myself with Ancient Tomb and <laughs> taking cards off self in the library. There, there you go. <laughs> well, and, and another point, too, that kind of bleeds into or comes out of what Dana was just talking about is you can only really focus on one opponent at a time. Uh, one of the things that we kind of talk about is uh, having each opponent effects versus target opponent. And if you look at a lot of the very popular mill cards, it's a lot of target opponent, not each opponent. So, you know, you have a card like Frank's Sanity that just it would be much better. But man, it the fact that it's enchanted player, not every player, you can only curse one person with Frank Sanity. Whereas if you have something like a Grey Merchant of Asphodel, that hits each opponent, even though you're in the same colors as the traditional mill deck. So having cards that actually can hit each opponent actually is kind of a rarity. 
Uh, it might be, you know, during each player's upkeep that something happens, but then that also gets you too. So having enough type of effects, I should say, that are going to hit each opponent versus a target opponent is one of the reasons that Mill may not be able to carry weight very often. Yeah, absolutely. The it, That is uh, one of the things that I think can be especially frustrating. There's no way for you to have one big, like you mentioned, Grey Merchant of Asphodel. Like I've hit that a devotion for like 20 and just totally clocked the entire table at one go. But Mill does very, like traumatize as a single player. There are some versions of Jace that Mill, but they're always a single player. There's the things like, I think it's Mind Funeral. Um, we mentioned a couple of cards earlier, like Mind Grind, which does, uh, you know, mill all players, but those are a rarity. We run out of those, like the field runs really dry on mill cards very, very quickly, and they tend to be one-shot spells that target a specific opponent and mill for a dozen cards or so. Um, and so that makes it very difficult compared to some of the other win condition options that we see in Commander that do affect all of your opponents all at once. So that is definitely a hurdle, because taking opponents out one at a time can leave you open to a whole lot of messiness if the other opponents are able to to survive and then get their plans going before you're able to mill them out, that's definitely a weakness. Well, and it also puts a lot of pressure on the cards that hit each opponent. Mesmeric Orb, I mean, is a $25 card right now because it's so good, because it is one of the few cards that does hit each opponent, because whenever a opponent becomes untapped, that permanent's controller. So everybody's surely gonna be tapping, you know, lands for mana, tapping creatures to attack. So punishing everybody when they do that and playing the game. It, it requires a lot of people you know, that are looking for Mesmeric Orb. So just price-wise, mm -hmm. it makes some of the premier mill cards fairly expensive. That's a great point, absolutely. Well, and even if you are, are somehow able to hit multiple opponents at once, then we have um, point number four here, where there are cards like the Eldrazi Shufflers from the original run of Eldrazi in uh, Rise of the Eldrazi that just turn your strategy off entirely. <laughs> uh, Cosmic Butcher of Truth is in over 12,000 decks, and Ulamog the Infinite Gyre is in over 11,000 decks. Um, when those hit your graveyard, it just shuffles your entire graveyard back into your library, and short of a stifle effect to stop that from happening, or a way to go into someone's library and take those cards out, you're probably just going to have to write off having any chance at all of turning off those uh, of milling that person out yeah those are those are really savage if you traumatize someone for like yeah i got like 38 cards and they're like, oh no it's an ulamog and it's all shuffling back in all of my work has been scuppered well and dana too don't forget about cards like elixir of immortality or, or some wheel effects that actually shuffle your graveyards into your library that is absolutely devastating for a mill deck to overcome because you basically have to start over from square one. It's like life gain for, you know, aggro decks. Yeah. But I know, I know in my real deck, for example, I played Days Undoing, which takes everybody's graveyards and, and then shuffles them into their library again. So you have to start all over again. And I, I know if you spend so many resources as the mill deck trying to get that far only for, you know, a day's undoing to shuffle everything back in and you have to start over, by the time a game is that well into it, uh, you may not be able to come back from that. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a really great point. That seems a, a, a well-named card there. The undoing part of it really undoes mill yeah. quite a whole lot. Um, well put. <laughs> uh, point number five is one that I personally want to make sure that we voice here too, is that uh, some of your opponents sometimes, I don't know, maybe, but sometimes if you're putting cards into the graveyard, some of your opponents 
will like that. So that's our point number five here. Some opponents enjoy being milled. And in fact, six of the top 21 most popular commanders of all time like having big graveyards. So what mill decks would be doing isn't pushing towards victory. They'd actually be fueling those different commanders. Some examples might include Muldrotha the Gravetide, which loves having a big graveyard. Marin of Clan Neltoth, which loves getting creatures back from the graveyard. Uh, Kess, Dissident Mage, who loves playing spells out of her graveyard. So in some cases, mill is fueling some of these very, very popular commanders uh, that you'll most likely see in a lot of different games. The graveyard is a huge, huge resource in games of commander, and mill decks sometimes just play right into the hands of those strategies, which is also kind of a pretty big knock against the strategy. Well, and that's not something you really deal with in very many strategies either. There's never a situation where you sit down and pull out your infect deck, and the person across the table is like, oh, cool, my deck is built, so whenever you give me a poison counter, you lose. <laughs> the game right. that doesn't happen but that <laughs> yeah. kind of does happen with mill where you're you can in that situation where you're like if i mill this person i'm helping them probably win very very quickly <laughs> absolutely yeah so watch out if you're playing mill against me most likely i'll say thank you and, and it's not even it, it's even things that aren't necessarily obvious i've probably killed half a dozen people with um mirrodin besieged that enchantment from modern horizons where at the beginning of your end step um, if you have 15 or more artifact cards in your graveyard, target opponent loses the game. It's not in my deck for that 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 ability. It's in there because it has a, a second mode where it makes a mirror whenever I cast an artifact spell. But there's been multiple times where I'm playing against a mill deck and I draw that card and just count the, the artifacts in my graveyard and play it and then kill that person immediately at the end of the turn. Yeah. Like that's happened more than once because of mill deck. And that's not something intentionally I'm doing. It's just worked out that because they're playing mill, they're they're gonna die. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then our next point here is cards just kind of scale poorly. Um, kind of hinted at this a little bit when we talked about taking out one person at a time. And then Joey's point too is you can only get so many cards with one given mill card. You talk about Glimpse the Unthinkable, and that mill's 10 cards. That seems pretty good, but then when you think about it, it's only 10 cards out of probably, you know, at any given point in the game, 200 plus cards that, you know, might be left in people's decks, which is only about 4% of the decks that you need to, to be working through. That's just not a whole bunch. You know, you compare that to a Lava Axe, which is, you know, five points of damage compared to, you know, the starting life totals of 120. That is the same about 4% of work that you're doing with one card. So the numbers you need to accomplish with mill are so much greater than when you compare it to, you know, dealing life or other win conditions. Uh, so yeah, when you think about Glimpse Unthinkable, it is the lava axe of mill. I know it's kind of a weird way to think about it, but it's true. And that's so much cheaper. But I mean, even Traumatize where you get, say, you know, you're decently early in the game. They have 80 cards left in their deck. That's only getting you know, about 20% of the cards at the table that you need to have because there's 240 cards in all the decks combined. That's 20%. That's not a great deal because you think, well, it's 50%, but it's only 50% for one person. So all these cards, they don't really do enough on their own. You need to have them synergizing in multiple pieces, adding up together to make the traumatize, not just hit one person. And that's such a hard thing to do. Or you think about Persistent Partitioners, how it's such a great card. Well, that's also another card that's only hitting one person for that many cards. Oh, yeah, Petitioners. Petitioners is a great one to look into the numbers on, too, because it's not just like, oh, you can mill 12 cards if you get a gang together of four persistent petitioners. But 
a, a thing to note about that probably is how long is that going to take you to actually mill someone out? The first tap with a gang of petitioners is going to be 12 cards, which means the second tap will be 24 cards. How many until that becomes lethal? And the numbers work out to probably about seven taps because that will be 84 cards that you'll mill. And that's most likely going to be lethal by that point in the game. And the thing to remember here is that you're probably not assembling a bunch of petitioners until you're at least on turn four or so. So that's probably seven turns, assuming no one messes with that strategy, or maybe if you get more of them. Like, that's just something to definitely keep in mind if you are pursuing that type of strategy, is that even that can take a very, very long time, and you are just hitting a single player, and yeah, that scale is definitely something that you need to look out for. Matt, like you were talking about with the Glimpse the Unthinkable and the Traumatized, like those are one-time effects, and they the numbers are actually pretty small, and you have to find a way to sort of amortize those over the course of the game to make them actually meaningful. Well, and you have cards like Mind Grind, for example, that looks on paper to be a very good card for mill strategies. Um, it's X and Demir, so X and two mana. Each opponent reveals cards from the top of his or her library until they reveal X land cards and put all cards revealed this way into their graveyard, and X can't be zero. Um, as we talked about back in episode 71, the average deck contains about 36 lands. Landfall is going to throw this off a little bit, um, but then again, if they put lands on their deck on purpose, landfall deck might be better to see as a mind grind target because they're going to hit less when you when you do that. Um, yeah, that's true. So that means slightly more than one in three cards in a person's deck are going to wind up being lands. Um, so mind grind for one land, it means the opponent mills an average of three cards, maybe fewer. So if you say, for example, mind grind X times eight, that means roughly 22 to 24 cards from everyone's deck. Um, so that's 70 of the 240 cards or so that you need to get through. Um, that's less than a third of what you're going to need target with with a you know mind grind for eight to take somebody out compared to torment of hailfire for eight, where you're probably just going to win. Um, you know, <laughs> 24 true. damage to each player or the loss of their board state. Um, that's 72 out of 120 damage you have to do, assuming they're at, you know, full life, which they probably won't be by the time you get to the point where you cast Torment anyway. Um, there's a much higher likelihood that that's just going to kill people versus mind grind milling them out. Um, so it's just an example of, yeah, the, the math is much more difficult here for mill than it is for just dealing damage. Yeah, and, and it really is that like a lot of these cards look like they are very, very powerful at first glance. Like, you know, Glimpse the Unthinkable, you mill 10 cards for just two mana, that's great. But Matt, like you mentioned, it has about the same e efficacy as a Lava Axe, and that's kind of really tough. Or even the Mind Grind example. In some of these cases, even when the mill deck is doing mill at a very high capacity, those things are still pretty slow compared to many of the other options and other win conditions out there. So that is just a point that we need to make sure that we're that we touch on is that mill looks really good, but the numbers don't always work out in its favor compared to what a lot of other strategies are up to. So that's definitely a thing that you got to plan for. Uh, and we've kind of got one more bonus point here too that might go against Mill just a little bit. Matt, you want to touch on it here? I suppose since I'm the one who probably has this feeling the most, but sometimes that was my suspicion. Sometimes there are people that just they they don't want to be milled out. They they there's a an emotional reaction that you get when you are milled out for X amount of cards. Um, if you ever watch our stream at twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast on Wednesday <laughs> evenings, um, you'll notice that whenever Joey plops that Mesmeric Orb, I have to get that off the battlefield ASAP because typically my decks, they, they don't do a whole lot with the graveyard interactions. And just sometimes people just, man, it's 
they feel like they've lost those cards. They don't have access to any given card anymore. But at this point, that's not really even true. But man, that you still get that emotional response of seeing your Haymaker, your Avenger of Zendikar go to the graveyard or your combo piece go to the graveyard. There's an emo emotional reaction that a lot of people get seeing that happen, even though you know you have Eternal Witness, which is played in over 65,000 decks. It's one of the most played green cards out there um, that benefits from having things in the graveyard. So you, you can build in graveyard interaction in pretty much any color you're playing. But sometimes, man, people just don't want to get milled. And that's that's a thing. I, I had a boss who used to oftentimes comment that perception equals reality. And, and in the work context, it meant how everyone viewed the department was doing was the reality, regardless of whether or not that was true. That's very much the case here. Like You can explain why mill isn't necessarily taking cards away from you. Um, but that doesn't change anything. Like people still perceive <laughs> the fact that they've lost those cards, whether or not they have or not. And that's just the reality you're gonna have to deal with. The perception is in fact the reality. Yeah, absolutely. Cause like you might mill the Avenger of Zendikar, like you mentioned, but there's every chance that that could have been at the bottom of your deck and you wouldn't have seen it that game anyway. But even then logically explaining that to you while I am in the process of milling you probably doesn't read very well. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but then how but can I tutor are... for it though, Joey? If it's in the graveyard, Your eternal witness. Use that eternal witness. You'll be fine. That's not tutoring though. Graveyard. Tutoring is so much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> big graveyards are great. So there are a lot of people like me who like big graveyards, but a lot of people who just see milling and, ah, there's an emotional response. And that's something that could sometimes get in Mill's way. So we've talked about some of the problems that maybe hamper the mill strategy, but now we actually want to move on to talking about their solutions. Of course, before we do that, though, we've got to go to our classic segment, challenging the stats. There's a lot of data here on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think the cards are seeing too much play, sometimes they're seeing too little play. So what we'll do here is challenge those statistics. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dana, how about you start us off this week? What is your challenge? Uh, my first challenge is Veilstone Amulet, an artifact from back in the Time Spiral block. It's three mana, and it says whenever you cast a spell, creatures you control can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control this turn. It's in about 600 decks on EDH Rec, and I think there's definitely room for it to be in more, um, particularly if you're playing some kind of a commander that is frequently casting instant speed spells kind of on demand, something like Feather, for example, where there's a lot of instant in that deck that you're casting just to proc a card draw trigger or something. It gives you the ability to make all your stuff hexproof while getting a bonus for it. Um, Talaran Sky Summoner that's oftentimes running cantrips just to make drakes. It's protection that doesn't require you to do anything with a thing you were already doing. Love it. And it's 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 in less than 12% of feather decks, and it's Talaran isn't even on the list. Man, that's yeah, I, I am one of those players who's using Veilstone Amulet. That is a future site card that I forgot existed, but as soon as I saw it, I was like, Feather, this needs to go in. And there are tons of Spellslinger uh, commanders that would make great use of that. I can't believe that's in so few decks. That's a great pick. Really, really great one. Matt, how about you? 
So my challenge this week comes to us from a listener, actually. So Ryan Neitzel submitted a pick for Snapdax Apex of the Hunt, which is the new Mardu commander with Mutate. You know, that mechanic that nobody really knows how it works. But um, <laughs> so, so this challenge specifically um, is coming in the form of Phyrexian Crusader. So Ryan said, I got a challenge of stat pick for you guys. Phyrexian Crusader showing up in 23% of Snap Snapdax Apex of the Hunt decks and even 55% of Snapdax Infect-themed decks. Uh, because of the, uh, the protection on the Crusader, I feel it should be zero because you can't mutate onto it with Snapdax or even a lot of the other mutate cards people are playing in those lists. Which, man, Ryan, I 100% I agree. The, the fact that you're playing in these Infect decks, which I think is kind of cool, actually. You're playing a bunch of small Infect creatures like a Plague Stinger, uh, Flinsermite, anything like that that's just a very cheap and efficient creature, and then mutating onto it to make that Infect deal much more damage than the creature originally had. That's a great idea, but I do agree. Phyrexian Crusader having both protection from red and white means double protection from Snap decks. And I know double protection isn't a thing, but... It is worth noting that there are a lot of mutate creatures in there that you cannot put onto the Crusader. This is a great catch. I really, really like it. The other cards in the deck, they make a lot of sense why you'd be playing them and then mutate big creatures on there. But Phyrexian Crusader, I do agree, is not one of those cards you should be trying to put in there. That's a really clever pick. Really cool one. I am going to bring us back around to the topic of Mill with my challenge. And this is based off of an experience that I had against a player named Brandon. I'm really hoping that I'm remembering that right. When I played against him uh, back in the uh, back in the old days before the quarantine days uh, <laughs> at GP Portland, um, he was playing a Phoenix God of Deception deck where you could tap your creatures with big toughnesses to mill people out. And he dropped a bomb of a card that I had not seen since 2011. Its name was Trench Gorger. Eight mana, six, six Leviathan with Trample. And when it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for any number of land cards, exile them, and then shuffle your library. If you do, Trench Gorger's power and toughness each become equal to the number of cards you've exiled this way. So what you do here with the Phoenixes, what you do is you drop the Trench Gorger, get rid of all the lands that are left in your deck, and make it about 30 power, 30 toughness, and then clock people. And what he was able to do in that game against me was also untap it immediately with like a thousand year elixir or some type of effect, and then clock me once again. And I was immediately down almost my entire deck, and I was very, very dead by his next turn. This is a very clever pick for Phoenix players. It only shows up in about 500. 73 decks on its own. And that's probably fine. Even the big C creature decks are a little skeptical of getting rid of all of the lands in the deck, especially if the Trench Gorger goes away. But for the purposes of Mill, this is a really, really scary one. It doesn't show up on Phoenix's EDH rec page at all. But man, this one terrified me when I saw it. And I just thought it was a really clever pick. So I want to give a shout out to that listener who I got to play against in Portland. It was a really, really fun time. Which now brings us back to the rest of our main topic. We're going to start talking about what are the solutions to Mill? How do we help it out? What are some points to Mill's benefit? And actually, since we did spend a little bit of time just talking about the ways that maybe Mill can be a bit weaker in the EDH meta, let's talk about some things that actually are to its benefit. Um, one thing, for example, that I'd love to throw out there is that Dana had mentioned the Eldrazi shufflers that can reshuffle players' decks, but I feel like that is more rare compared to some of the other strategies out there, such as life gain, which can really hamper aggro strategies. Like, this is usually a very limited resource that doesn't get refilled very often, is refilling someone's library, um, compared to stuff like life gain. So I think that that actually can sometimes be something to Mill's benefit. You do know basically exactly in the average game about how often, how many cards you need to do, and that number isn't usually going to go back up all that much. 
Well, and one thing that I, I appreciate about mill that you know can be a benefit is, I said that sometimes you need a lot of help for individual mill cards to be good. Um, it is actually pretty easy to accidentally combo people out with mill. You know, you have the Helm of Obedience and Leyline of the Void combo that pretty much any black deck can be playing. Uh, we also have Traumatized plus Bruvac, uh, the Fancy Pants, whatever his last name is. The one that you like saying all the time, Joey. Uh, Grandiloquent. Grandiloquent. Um, but that basically turns Traumatize into five mana kill a player, which is very powerful. So a lot of these kind of synergies that you build up, you know, individually they're not very good, but when you have some pieces together, they can be game winning. Uh, you talk about Dusk Mantle, Guild Mage, and then Mind Crank. That's a win condition right there. Yeah, absolutely, because that's a very cyclical thing. The Mind Crank will say, oh, did they take damage? They're going to mill a card. And then the Dusk Mantle can be like, wait, did they mill a card? Now they'll take damage. You can mm -hmm. create that infinite loop. The Helm of Obedience with Leyline of the Void that you mentioned is really great because that removes any cards going to the graveyard. So when Helm of Obedience tries to mill someone for a certain number of cards, those cards never actually hit the graveyard. So, you know, per the Leyline, so you can keep on milling them until their entire deck is gone. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole bunch of really fun stuff that you can do there, too. Uh, a, a really popular one on the subject of Phoenix is the card Eater of the Dead, which can exile cre uh, creatures from graveyards for your opponent to untap itself. And that can sometimes be a combo that ratchets the entire table away, just, you know, guns everything down by getting rid of all of those cards because you just untap it and then it refuels itself and then you can untap it and then it refuels itself. So like there are a bunch of those really, really cool combos that you can definitely uncover with some of these mill strategies for sure. And, you know, we talked about one of the downsides of mill being the fact that there's so many graveyard decks out there that can take advantage of the mill you're doing. You can also take advantage of the mill you're doing. Like Rise of the Dark Realms is a win condition. <laughs> if you want to run it in a mill deck, there are things that you can also do with your opponents putting those cards in the graveyard. That's really difficult to do outside of a mill deck. You don't want to devote slots to having your opponents put stuff in the yard for the most part if you're not playing that kind of deck. But if you are playing mill, it's much easier to put in that anime dead or that Rise of the Dark Realms to really take advantage of those things. Yeah, and, and another thing too is like I'd mentioned life gain earlier, which can really be to the detriment of some aggro strategies out there. This is a strategy that doesn't care at all all about life gain. And particularly, it's hard to blank this type of strategy, mill, with stuff like fogs, which, I mean, Matt, even just playing against you, there are a lot of turns that you've had where a single fog would have completely saved my butt in those oh, games. Yeah. And that's not something that mill is susceptible to. Like a ghostly prison is not something that mill cares about at all. So you do have some cases where you just, the cards that your opponents do have are kind of just blanks against this particular strategy. And that is definitely a benefit. Yeah. I mean, I've been blown out and I've done plenty of blowing out with fog so yeah being able just to circumvent traditional wind conditions is nice but then when you think about it there aren't a lot of ways that you can just blatantly circumvent mill you know when it's hitting you um, it takes a lot of work and they're not very common so yeah it is hard to have protection from mill like fog would be a protection from combat yeah, absolutely. And and the final thing, I guess, also is that I expect this is something you can take advantage of in games, is that Mill will probably be underestimated. Given the points that we mentioned earlier, people might think that they have a handle on what Mill is up to. And that you know, hearing some of the math uh, behind it might be like, oh, well, you know, those cards don't scale as well to the game. 
I feel like I have more time to deal with the mill player before that becomes a problem compared to the aggro player on the other side of the table. That might be something that you can take advantage of if people underestimate how well a mill deck might perform. So that is definitely something to keep in mind too. Um, but aside from just some of the points that maybe are going to work towards mill's favor, we came up with a list of five mill commandments, things that we think that a mill deck really, really needs to keep in mind to make sure that its strategy is as potent as it possibly can be at a game of EDH. So let's go through those now. Number one, mill must run graveyard hate. Um, I would argue every deck should run graveyard hate, but <laughs> yeah, mill decks absolutely have to. Um, so much of the format is built around doing things with the graveyard. Um, you stand a really good chance of encountering at least one deck in your pod that benefits from you putting stuff into their graveyard. Or they'll have the Eldrazi that reshuffles, or they'll have something that takes advantage of just putting cards in the yard. Um, occasionally that's going to burn you and it'll make your Consuming Aberration worse, or your White of Precinct 6 worse. Um, but that's better than losing the game to the Reanimator deck that's just going to bring the whole field back. Yeah, very, very much. If you're playing against, if you're playing a mill strategy, you know you're going to see a Muldrotha out there. It's the number one most popular commander. You've got to play some form of graveyard hate that is going to take away all of the stuff that you are putting into their graveyard in some form or fashion. Even probably if you are playing Dana, like you'd mentioned, the Rise of the Dark Realms, if you're also trying to manipulate the cards that you put into enemy graveyards, I would probably still say that you got to run both because it's just, you just can't afford to let me get all of my targets back in the graveyard with my my Marin deck. You, you can't afford that. I will crush you if you give me all of that fuel. I really will. It's 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 delicious. I'm going to do it. Um, you know, and, and we've also had some cards in the last few years that have gotten either reprinted or printed that make things a lot easier to do this too. Leyline of the Void was a crazy expensive card. It's not that bad nowadays. And that doesn't affect your graveyard. So you can still get some benefit from your own stuff in the yard running, things like that, to deal with other players' graveyards. I mean, yeah, I would argue there's plenty of artifacts out there that make it much easier to play Graveyard Hate no matter what colors you're playing, and they don't really set you back either. You have stuff like Graft Digger's Cage that will prevent any reanimator shenanigans from going on, or you have stuff like Silent Gravestone. There's all sorts of different little artifacts you'd be playing, just not haymakers, they're not gonna- Soul Guide Lantern is amazing, and it doesn't, it doesn't touch yeah. your stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's just stuff that's going to prevent them from taking any benefit of you putting things into the graveyard. There's so many you know, cheap artifacts. You have Relic of Progenitus. We could go on and on with examples of cards that you can play that incidentally will make sure they're not benefiting from you executing your game plan. You absolutely do need to be playing some amount of them in your decks. Yeah, absolutely. So point number two for us, our second mill commandment, I think that mill cards just really can't be one-off effects because those one-off effects, they target a single player, the numbers, they don't scale very well, and they also don't hit multiple opponents. And just those one-time effects, they don't really do as much as some of the other options out there um, that are going to be much more to your benefit. The stuff like Teferi's Tutelage or like the Mesmeric Orb are going to scale a whole lot better to the long duration of the game because they will continue continually put cards into the yard and do a lot of work for you. Uh, probably more work than any of those one-off effects. I think Traumatize is probably still okay because it is a pretty big chunk, but even then you're still just hitting one person and you want to try and shape the mill cards that you are using towards the effects that will affect all players um, and scale really nicely to the 
course of the game and it being multiplayer. Um, and, and especially if you can shape them towards things that complement each other. I mentioned that Teferi's Tutelage, which mills players whenever you draw a card. If you combine that with an effect like Windfall, that's the kind of stuff that you want to look for. Those are the types of one-shot effects that complement the other longer duration mill effects that will really make the strategy really, really glisten and really pop off a whole lot more than some of the one-time, okay, I mill you for a dozen cards and then it's done. Those cards just don't do as much compared to some of the more longevity-oriented uh, mill cards. Well, and speaking of games that can go on longer, that kind of leads us into our third point here, our, our third mill mandment, if you will. Uh, <laughs> mill must run some sort of backup plan. Uh, games rarely ever go exactly how you intend them to go. And just the density of cards going to the graveyard and all these weaknesses that we've talked about, it's going to be wise to have some sort of backup plan, you know, just in case things go south. Uh, Joey has been a, a, you might say, loyal servant of Sir Conrad, which punishes people, you know, for playing lots of creatures. And over the course of the game, in addition to milling people out, Sir Conrad is able to deal enough damage to win the game oftentimes. But we also talked about different combos that you can play with, you know, Duskmantle Guild Mage and Mind Crank just to combo people out. Or even, oh, and Sir Conrad's a part of the Mind Crank combo there, he too. Is, He's oh my great. gosh. That's... Uh-huh. Mm. Don't 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 <laughs> encourage necromancers out there, Joey. There's so many. Well, you don't even just if you put a Sir Conrad into a mill deck, that is probably a way that you can also sneak in a different type of win condition that maybe people weren't expecting because you can traumatize them and then he'll do a bunch of damage. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It's great. Or even then, you can do things like the Matt Morgan route and just reanimate their creatures. You play Sepulchral Primordial and you steal a creature from everybody that's left in the game. That's going to be able to turn the tides a little bit, go back to the combat step, which you should be doing anyways. Um, but if you're, you know, you're playing against Laboratory Maniac or even the new Ormos deck, that new fancy Sphinx that, you know, when you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you just make Ormos Archive Keeper even bigger. That card wants to get milled out. That whole deck, you're, they're probably helping you, but they're going to punish you for it. So having some sort of way just to get around those situations where people are going to take advantage of being milled out, having a way to win the game despite all that is going to pay off for you. I completely agree, but Matt, I find it very surprising that you said that the Matt Morgan route is to play cards that reanimate their stuff out of their graveyard. And then go I to feel combat. Like that's also in my, and I feel like that's to... also in my domain. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'll give you that, but I, I did finish it up with go to combat. All right, all right. The combat is yours, but graveyards are mine. <laughs> that's fair. Well, well, that leads us to number four here. Um, Mill must control the board. Any game where you're trying to mill out three enemies is a game that will definitionally take longer than a combat-based um, game for the most part. So you have to prepare for this, and the best way to do it is lean into a control strategy. Um, a lot of mill doesn't affect the board state, so you have to defend yourself and play removal and play defensively to stay safe over that long game as you get yourself in position to take care of everyone's libraries. Yeah, I think this is especially one of the biggest points to take away from this episode, actually. Like, you are dealing with a resource point, like you'd mentioned, Dana, that is at least probably twice as much as what everyone else is going for. So you know that that's going to take a lot longer. So plan for that. You can play more of the you can't hurt me kind of cards, more of the fog type of cards or the things that make it more difficult to attack you, more removal spells that keep the board clear. Those are the types of things that you can plan for because you know that you're going to literally grind your opponents down by grinding all of 
of the cards out of their decks, which will take longer than if you were playing aggro. So plan for that because that will help you support that strategy. If you're running the typical suite for any given deck of removal and, and stuff like that, that might not be enough. Use more of it so that you can supplant and help out this particular strategy because it is going to win over a longer game. That's really going to be to your benefit here. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't do that, you're going to find it much less fun to play this deck when you never get to successfully execute your plan. Yeah. And then our fifth point, and this is, I think, going to be the most difficult uh, one. This is one of those hard to swallow pills, maybe, but mill decks can be control and combo. And that's okay. Matt, you just mentioned a whole bunch of really cool combos like the Helm of Obedience and Leyline combo from earlier. And I think people have an idea in their minds that combo isn't maybe properly mill or like that mind crank and uh, dusk mantle thing. That might not be really proper within it. But I think that we need to sort of allow ourselves to, um, I, I don't know, we, we should unlearn uh, that habit. We shouldn't, you know, say that mill needs to be divorced from other archetypes given how slow some of the games of mill can go just looking at the math looking at the numbers that we've gone through here like these i'm not sure that i want a 20 turn commander game which might be the timeline that a mill deck actually sometimes takes um so like if it is leaning into these combos i think that that really is okay you can do stuff like the bruvac with the traumatized to just one shot a player and that's perfectly fine because even under the conditions of some of these combos some of these combos are still going to take a whole lot of time <laughs> to mill every player because a lot of them are just again one person at a time i just think that we need to be ready to accept the fact that mill decks might also include combo and that that is a perfectly valid piece of the strategy that makes their strategy even more valuable than it otherwise would be and that's just a really big point here mills mill decks can be combo and that is perfectly fine for it well and and mill decks might be control decks and that's also okay i I know sometimes you know counter spells get a bad reputation because they they cause some feel bads, but I mean that it's a very valid strategy. You know you're you're trying to delay the game until you can do your thing, just like everybody else is trying to do their thing too. So it's a perfectly valid deck, uh, perfectly valid strategy. Uh, so don't you know th there might be some feel bads, like we said. Um, have those conversations about it and just say, hey, you know, I'm just trying to to play, you know, my style of deck just like you are. So find a way just to, to navigate that and make sure that everybody's on the same page with these decks. Yeah, absolutely. The most effective forms of mill that we've seen so far in this episode tend to be like one, two punches that get so powerful that the individual numbers, the specific, oh, does it take seven turns with the persistent petitioners? The most powerful forms of mill tend to be the punches that are so powerful that the numbers there don't actually matter. And it's fine to lean into that to make mill as good as it can be because mill doesn't exactly have a uh, a crater hoof behemoth equivalent really. in the game. So leaning into combos can be a way of helping uh, move it up a little bit more into the uh, into a better form of viability for commander, I think. And that's just a really good lesson to take away. So those were our thoughts, some of the numbers behind some of the mill cards and some of the ways that, you know, might hamper the strategy, but also some ways that we hope will push it forward and make it into the, uh, you know, a bit more viable within the commander format. It's a lot of fun to look at some of these details to see how you can shore up maybe different weaknesses within certain strategies like this. So a whole bunch of fun. But with that, I think what we need to do is call this episode to a close. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. And hey, if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday nights, you can find us at twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast. We're streaming games with awesome guests every single week. Make sure you don't miss a single, single show. And Dana. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach, and you can read my articles on EDHREC 
most Wednesdays, and you can hear me a couple times a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast at EDH RecCast on Facebook or on Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDH Rec's data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think that we ought to know about, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, we have to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Once again, they are TCG Player and Card kingdom.com you can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC and that will help show your support for the show we will be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck <laughs>